This sermon, Seven Shaping Virtues, Encouragement, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, May 7th, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, and while you're doing that, a brief celebration, our first, I don't know, 10 years or so, Derek, every April, we would take time to just celebrate another years of God's grace and how kind of fun it is to be 23 years into this, and we just went past another celebration of, of this church being a church. Uh, kudos to Scott and Teresa McLeod, who have been here from the beginning. All the rest of you have been added since. But when I say it's a joy to preach, I can't believe I get to do this. I'm saying I can't believe 23 years later, we have two very uh, other competent pastors that could preach but I got the call into the minor leagues and they said, come on up and preach one of these seven shared values. And I jumped on the airplane and flew here. And no, that's, that breaks down a little bit. It breaks down a little bit. We are in a series called the Seven Shaping Virtues. We're going to look at the shaping virtue of encouragement today. And we want to learn from the most important words you'll hear from God's word. So let's stand now as is our tradition and let's read from God's word, Romans 15, I'll read one through six. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please take your seats while I pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the wisdom of your word. Lord, how you rule and reign and direct and guide and lead and disciple us through this living word. And I can speak on behalf of this group. They come eager, Lord, to learn how you will disciple us today, how you will challenge us, convict us, encourage us. So, Lord, do that today. Grant us that grace today that you would disciple us through this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, many of you know, uh, I've probably shared that my father died uh, when I was just 24 years old. I had just started in the insurance business, and although we had a big family, my parents had eight boys, so all sorts of careers represented. Uh, my dad had been in the insurance business. I got started. There was a nice uh, bond as a young adult, um, and then he died from complications of a, of a surgery, and somehow I got selected in the family to go clean out the office. It was a pretty traditional family. Mom, my mom was very much in the dark on what was going on, uh, just a Judeo-Christian kind of a stay-at-home mom. That was the thing that 
she did. All the neighbor moms seemed to do that. And uh, my dad was self-employed. And uh, so I, I, I had to pull back the drapes. Um, and it was not a pretty sight. Um, there were some short-term loans that the family was unaware of. There was a couple of years back taxes that the family was unaware of. So I had to report this to my mom. And uh, fortunately, I did find there was a life insurance policy for about 120000 But essentially, the report was, Mom, to clean up all this mess, this life insurance is going to have to go towards that. Do you want to set this money as a little nest egg for the future and we'll work to clean all this up as best we can or do you want to just get all cleaned up? And in her wisdom, she said, yeah, let's get it all cleaned up. You know, that experience marked me in a number of ways. Seeing my dad as a father uh, or as a husband, as a businessman. Uh, so it, it marked and shaped me for this life in a lot of ways. I was a new Christian, so certainly the Lord uses these kind of things in our life. And as I thought about that this week, you know, these, these seven shaping virtues are marking us, shaping us for eternity, not just an earthly experience to, to kind of define and delineate some things in this life. But think about these words, shaping virtues. If you look up, Virtue in the dictionary, the, the dictionary defines a virtue as moral excellence, goodness, righteousness, conformity of one's life and conduct to moral and ethical principles. Shaping would be the adjective to that. Shaping virtues, going back to high school English. Shaping virtues. They are virtuous ways of living, but by God's word and his grace, they shape us, they form us. They do something in our lives. And so today, we're going to look at the shaping virtue of encouragement. It's meant to mark us. It's meant to shape us. It's meant to form us into something as all the other six are also. Not just for earthly experiences, but for eternity is what we're talking about. The shaping virtue of encouragement. Here's what we're going to learn today. Gospel grace transforms Proud and lazy people into encouragers. Gospel grace. Now, that's a broad, broad turn. That covers a lot. Gospel grace covers God calling you and convicting you of your sin. Gospel grace covers God regenerating your hearts. Gospel grace covers justification when you're declared righteous before God. And gospel grace covers sanctification, growing in actual holiness, being shaped and formed by the Spirit of God into Christ-likeness, as we see in Romans 28 and 29. Gospel grace, God's plan for our life. It comes, it transforms. What type of people? Proud and lazy people into encouragers. That's what we're gonna learn today. So where do we begin? Well, when I first got this assignment, I thought, okay, We'll go through the scriptures. We'll look at different ways we can grow in this encouragement. And then I ran into Romans 15 from the Sovereign Grace Journal, which I hope if you haven't ordered one of those, you've at least downloaded the uh, PDF. That's free. You should hopefully be building this library of these journals. They're, they're really good. And so in Romans 15, 
we, we see something different than just going out and horizontally learning how to grow in being an encouragement. So three points today. The first one is encouragement flows from God and the gospel. The encouragement begins, encouragement starts with the character of God. Encouragement flows from the character of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at our text, Romans 15, 1. We're parachuting in here at the end of Romans, but most of you would be aware that the first 11 chapters are a magnificent and brilliant uh, 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 exegesis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then 12 through 15 is, how then shall we live? And he's given instructions on how we should live. And so here he's speaking to the mature and the not so mature. Verse one, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. People born again, people transformed, people saved, get placed into a church and don't live for themselves. We get that. And then he roots this. With another instruction, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is what the body of Christ does. Then four, anytime you see four, you know Paul or the New Testament author is now grounding that instruction, grounding it in something deeper. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is not just a good Christian uh, uh, mark. No, no, this is rooted in Christ's very life. We live for other people to encourage, to build up, because in a small way, we reflect our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it's like he pulls back another layer, another four. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days, was written for our instruction. All of the Old Testament at this point in time, and now all of the New Testament, written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. God putting in place for a millennia Scriptures for his people, that they might have hope while we live through this fallen world. And then he almost turns it into a prayer. And this is what caught my attention. This is where we'll spend some time unpacking this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with one voice, unified, everyone in the body doing this, bring glory to God as we endure and encourage one another. What I want to draw your attention to is Paul now speaks to the character of God in the middle of this instruction of how to live with one another. May the God of endurance and encouragement God who is encouragement. Like we say, God doesn't put on love. He doesn't schedule a time during the week where he says, okay, I'm gonna really work on being loving. God is love. And with the character of God, God is an encourager. So we start with God. God 
doesn't have to intentionally, we're gonna talk about being intentional down the road here, but God doesn't intentionally have to try to be an encourager. It's in his very nature. So now all the instruction flows from us wanting to grow in God-like character. We want to reflect. We want to mirror his character as best we can. He is the God of endurance and encouragement. He wants us marked with endurance, shaping, growing, and encouragement. He wants strong and weak believers together, mutually encouraging one another, rooted in the character of Jesus Christ so we can, with one voice, be unified and glorify him. It's actually a great visionary paragraph for the people of God. But the fact that it's rooted in his character is huge. It's, it's huge that we get this. Romans 5.1 calls out and says, be imitators of God. We are to be growing and continually shaped and looking more and increasingly like the God we love and worshiped this morning. And in this case, it's growing in what it looks like to be an encourager. It's so easy to overlook that the Bible says he is the God of encouragement. In the Sovereign Grace Journal, in the opening paragraph, the author of this article writes this. I thought it was very helpful. He says, if God as encourager does not fit how we think about his orientation to us, toward us, we will likely fail to value encouragement as God does. We will consider encouragement a nice bonus we may hand out to fellow believers at times, but we will not view encouragement as an integral part of what it means to be Christian. To be Christian means we encourage one another. So it's crucial that this call to grow, to be shaped, to endure, flows from God's character. So how will we do this? Well, we see right here in our text that all of the instruction in Scripture is to give us hope. It is to give us hope in this life because we live in the now, but not yet. We are believers, pilgrims in a place that we're not going to be for eternity. And all those Scriptures from the Old Testament and now the New Testament have one gigantic gospel story and the effect of it is that we would have hope. That we would be a people encouraging one another, building up one another to have hope. Ephesians 2.12, second half of Ephesians, we won't read it, but go study it this week, talks about formerly we were separated from God. Every believer in this building if you're, if you're a believer, born-again believer today, at one point in time, you were separated from God. You were alienated. You were strangers. You were not part of the covenant promises of God. And the text says, and we were without hope. But as we sung today, God authored your salvation. And so you, you could say big T transformation. Your first big transformation was without hope, alienated from God, to hope 
to life in Christ. And now for the rest of our life, we are growing and building and keeping this hope in front of us as we encourage one another in the numerous ways we'll look at in just a minute. But one more huge and very important thought. The most important encouragement we get from God was that he sent his son. He sent his son to take care of what was hopeless for us. We were hopeless to save ourselves and he sent his son to die an ugly and brutal and horrific death only to be raised up because it was an unjust death so that we, so that we could be transformed and reconciled back to God. Sinners actually reconciled to a holy God because God's greatest expression, his ultimate form of encouragement was to send his son and give us hope that we could be in relationship. We could have some way of dealing with the hopeless dilemma of a sinner thinking they could be in the presence of God. I call that capital T, transformation. And the rest of this message is gonna be smaller transformations. God is in the business of gospel grace transforming proud and lazy Christians like me into encouragers. And hence the shaping virtue of encouragement as we live together as a church and we live together in this fallen world. And before we go on to point two, if there's someone here that's not a believer, we're grateful you're here. If there's someone here that's not sure about the claims of Christianity, I don't know if I want to commit my life to this. Listen, the greatest act of God's encouraging character was to send his son. That's still available today. But there's a day coming when you won't see God's encouragement in heaven. You will see the wrath of God. A very different part of his character where he pours out his wrath, justified wrath on sin. But today is the day of salvation. And today you can be reconciled back to God by repenting of your sins, turning from whatever it is you believe that untruth about God and putting your trust in Jesus. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to do certain works. You simply, as an act of faith, put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So God is the God of encouragement. If you're born again, you've been transformed from the ultimate encouragement. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ and God wants to shape and inform us while we live in this life. So before we get into some more specifics, let me make this statement. This is not about your personality. This is not about optional ministry when you feel like it because you're not wired a certain way. This is God calling every one of us in this room, every New Testament believer. Sure, it might be more difficult for some than others, but this truth and this claim, this shaping virtue on our life is for every believer. And God gives power through the gospel of Jesus for every believer to be shaped and to grow in this. That's the good news, depending on, regardless of your personality, God wants us to live as one voice, glorifying God, growing in Christ 
likeness. But there will be challenges. Point two, encouragement slows. Encouragement slows through pride and laziness. You will find resistance as you attempt to grow and be God-like, growing in the character of our Savior. But here's the good news, kind of. It's not really the enemies and the trouble out there. Primarily, it's the trouble here. It's the trouble in our own hearts. You have an enemy within you. You have a, a heart that what theologians call still has remaining sin that God wants to help us put to death and be ever increasingly and growing. That's what we call sanctification, progressive sanctification. We've taught on that before. Don't have time to go into too much detail, but if you want a good book review, a book recommendation, read John Owen's Overcoming Sin and Temptation. I tried to get through it. I couldn't. But I love Chris Lungard's The Enemy Within book that we all read probably 20 years ago. I need to reread it again. He does a great job of taking and standing on the shoulders of John Owen. That's a book, you, if you don't have it in your library or you haven't read it in a decade or so, you're going to want to read again. And I see Donna Rhonda nodding, so I must be in good shape. But let's, 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 let's look at one text. We're going to go outside of our Romans text. Let's look at one text that really specifically speaks to this enemy and this battle within. I think it's Galatians 5, 16 and 17. You've probably read this before, but I want to read it again. Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. God has put a desire in you with the big T transformation to grow, to grow in Christ's likeness, to not just be declared righteous at justification, but actual growth in holiness, growth in Christ likeness. You have that desire, but there's an enemy within that wants to keep you from doing that, growing, being more Christ like. Pride is lurking in your heart. And when pride wins that battle, you're not an encourager. Growth as an encourager will slow down. It will come to a crawl. And here's the reality of progressive sanctification. Someone's always winning that battle. It's either pride and being, growing in these areas slows down to a crawl, or it's Pride's put to death and we're growing. Every day, every moment, this battle, it won't go away. That's just the reality until Jesus comes back again. So let's look at some of the implications. Unchecked pride breeds fault finding, not encouragement. Unchecked pride breeds fault finding. If you're not fighting the fight of putting pride to death, you will become a fault finder. Proud people don't encourage. It's the other way to say it. Proud people aren't encouragers. They find fault. Let me introduce you to a professional fault finder. My generation grew up with the Peanuts comic strips. And Linus and Lucy had this interesting uh, uh, um, relationship. And th this is actually... <laughs> 
could be two Christians, one giving an observation to another one. So Linus says, why are you always so anxious to criticize me? Lucy says, I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. Linus says, what about your own faults? Well, I have a knack for overlooking them. (laughs) Apart from recognizing our pride, you will be a Lucy. You will be a proud, non-encouraging fault finder. The flip side of that, you'll just have a knack of overlooking your pride and your fault finding. Pride convinces us that we're pretty good. How many of us have said this or heard someone say, well, I'm a pretty good judge of character. Maybe, but that could be a slippery slope too. I'm a pretty good fault finder is what that might be hiding behind. Listen, I'm not sure where I got this sentence. It's too smart for me to come up with, but I couldn't find if it's a quote. But the self-anointed truth teller is full of himself thinking they are a gift to the body of Christ. They deputize themselves as sin and weakness sheriffs, and they are self-appointed people to purge the body of Christ of such weaknesses. Our pride, left unattended, unchecked, will shape us as fault finders. We will become the Lucys of the church. Listen, a while back, I met a visitor we had no pastor's college classes on visitors. It's been a really fun part of uh, being a pastor. Early on, when you're meeting at a school, they, they just seem to always want to meet with the pastor, and so you would really get to know them at a coffee or lunch, and usually it's, it's really fun. But in this case, this visitor, uh, I, I was the third pastor to greet and, and say hi, and this visitor told me the faults of the first two pastors who had more of a public role than that morning than me. And somehow I escaped fault finding, so I'm not sure what that means. But, um, and I thought, okay, you know, you, you don't rush to conclusions when you first meet someone. A um, humble person would say, well, maybe there's something to look at there. Um, and then this was what proceeded from this visitor's mouth. Listen. I've visited 25 churches in this city, and I know this stuff. I was like, okay, now that makes sense. <laughs> a fault finder is going to have a hard time, uh, especially if you wear it on your sleeve the very first Sunday you visit. It's going to have a hard time fitting into a local church because God calls us to be encouragers. Listen, the doctrine of sin, pride lurking in your heart, will make you an expert at spotting other people's sins and weaknesses and not spend much time looking at your own hearts. So each of us must ask the question, is the pride, the proud enemy within winning my heart, or am I growing in Christ-like character of being an encourager to my brothers and sisters? The flip side of not winning that war is Pride, pride is the active part. You're actively seeing yourself as gifted to find faults and quickly tell people. The flip side of that, more, more of a passive sinful pattern when we're not winning this battle in our hearts is laziness. This will slow down your growth because laziness is just a proud heart working passively. 
Laziness will breed passivity. See, the lazy person will be quick to point out correction, but never speak or encourage, give little effort to encouragement. It's a sin of omission. The lazy, passive person sins by way of omitting this call to grow in this shaping virtue. So, you hear, I'm just not wired like that. That's for the extroverts, Tim. I I, I don't have that kind of personality. Very bluntly, I think you're lazy. I'm just not, uh, I just don't talk to people that way. I'm, I'm more on the introverted side. Maybe you're just setting aside God's command and call and claim on your life, and you're lazy. God wants to shape us into encouragers. We don't want to simply set aside this claim and this call and this work of the Spirit in our life. So the lazy person put their kids in children's ministry. doesn't matter if you've been in there teaching for weeks and months or you're, especially if you're brand new, no encouragement will go forth. Actually, I think that in the journal they made a point that encouragement doesn't have to wait for godly qualities to reach their ripened maturity. In fact, it's a great time to encourage people where areas of growth are still embryonic. So when the new person leads the community group, do you keep your mouth shut? Let's see where this goes. It's not as good as when Joe led. The welcome team and the sound booth team serve tirelessly week after week making sure this meeting is run well with excellence. But the lazy person just enjoys their gifting, keeps their mouth shut. I think God wants to speak into that. We are a very encouraging church. I don't think we're just an encouraging church. I think we're a very encouraging church. But that doesn't mean we can't grow. It doesn't mean God doesn't have little pockets that he wants us to grow in. So encouragement will slow, bring things to a crawl in this growth. Pride and laziness needs to be checked, not left unchecked. Learning when it's appropriate to open our mouths and give encouragement, even if you've been silent for all your time in this church. Well, if you thought that was practical, we're even going to get more practical because point three is this. Encouragement grows through purposeful words and intentional application. It flows from God and the gospel. It slows through our sinful resistance, but it can grow through purposeful words and intentional application. Look back at our text, Romans 15, verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, to build him up. Building one another up is the gospel effect of encouragement. That's the goal. You see this sprinkled all throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, as Paul begins to bring correction and training to the Corinthian church, speaking about the gifts, he says the gifts are given 
The Holy Spirit's manifestation for the common good, encouragement, building up for the common good. These are sister texts that all cluster together in this shaping virtue of encouragement. 1 Corinthians 14.3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Synonymous words. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, Paul gives some instruction, then says, therefore, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, further instruction, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another. All sprinkled throughout the New Testament is the clear teaching that God wants his believers marked and shaped by this virtue of encouragement. The Sovereign Grace Journal list three ways that might be means of encouragement. Encouragement through God's word, encouragement through the gifts of the spirit, encouragement through our mutual faith. But the common thread in all these and all the others that you could add to that list are words. Words that come out of our mouth. And I wanna use Ephesians 4.29 as our application to this Romans 15 text. So turn with me to Ephesians 4.29. I want you to have it in your lap. And if you want to hear an outstanding message on this, look up uh, the Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, C.J. Mahaney's message. I think it's titled something like Building a Culture of Encouragement. He does an absolutely fantastic job Uh, Some of us have heard that message in the past and have been taught in this way. But look at this text, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Church, words matter. Words do matter. Today alone, the experts say, you and I will probably speak 25,000 words and give an account for every single one of them. That sobers me because I talk a lot. Some of you are probably thinking, my husband, my wife. You don't even get close to that. But do those words encourage and build up and have an effect on the people we interact with. Like the text says, let no corrupting talk, typical Paul, don't go here, don't don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We, We can be an agent, a means of grace to those who are here. So encouragement grows through purposeful words. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by Informed by this text and many others, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about simply being polite and courteous. I'm not talking about words that are meant to create a safe space so you can feel a certain way. I'm not talking about... Uh, man-centered words exalting the person as if they need help with their self-image. 
No, purposeful words mean theologically informed words that are drawn from scriptural categories. Informed by the word of God and spoken member to member for the effect of encouragement building up, giving grace. Theologically informed words. We're talking about being God-centered, not man-centered in our encouragement. Gospel-centered, not worldly hope-centered. Drawing people's attention away from the things that are fleeting and will fade to the things of God, his commands and his calls upon our life. How do we grow in this? Well, one simple way is memorize biblical texts like Ephesians 4.29. Talk talk about an all-in-one, take it with you. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but let this kind of words come out of your mouth to extend grace. Study the gifts of the Spirit. I kind of chuckled this week because how many of us are parents Used Ephesians 4.29 almost like a, a stick with our kids. Go read Ephesians 4.29 and then apply it ourselves. How many of us have memorized the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? And now I need to go do another study because guess what? When the fruit of the Spirit shows up, it's evidence that God is working. I should know that so I can spot it so my words can be an encouragement and build you up. I got a whole new vision of studying the fruit of the Spirit. Same with the gifts of the Spirit. The gift list in Scripture, there's four, scriptures, there's four of them. They're not meant to be exhaustive, but what a great place to go and say, man, when this is happening, the Spirit of God is here. And I want to encourage, I want to have that kind of purpose in my words as I interact with fellow believers in my church. You could probably add to this. Sure, community group leaders could do whole sessions on this. We can grow in this by being people that are purposeful in our words. We have them hidden in our hearts. But I also mentioned intentional application. Intentional application. I was thinking about Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where the Bible says, work out your... Salvation, yet God is working out his will. It is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. So you want to be intentional with our application? Think about this. Before every conversation, remind myself, I'm talking to someone that the Bible says God is working out his will in this person's life. But here's the problem. Most of the time, God's work is a long work. It's slow. You finish a year and you look back and like, have I grown in talking to my wife more encouragingly? Have I grown in in putting to death fault finding? And I can't. Most, I would say, much of God's work of sanctification in your life and in my life is imperceptible. Most people live way more aware of their faults than God's work in a Philippians 2.13 way. That's just the reality. 
of sanctification. Sure, we have high moments. We have breakthroughs. God does miracles. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting God in a box, but most of your sanctification, like I mentioned before, is hard fought, is resisted. You feel like, I, I got two inches and I'm growing. But oftentimes it's way imperceptible to us. Illustration of this. Probably, I had to think about this this week. Probably my most difficult time was in ministry, 23 years, was the summer of 2017. I was determined to get Derek on a sabbatical. He was our only vocational pastor. He went on sabbatical and bought a motorcycle, and it's all over. Just kidding. It was a difficult season in my work life. Um, there was a lot to do. I, I, I spent the summer feeling like all I did was barely have meetings. Um, this, this was not very fruitful in trying to run the church and run a business and never call him, which I wanted to do like every other day because <laughs> that's how we're used to talking and making decisions. Um, so when he got done, it was, he wasn't even technically done with his sabbatical, but it was late August. We were having a uh, community group leaders meeting, and I said, Derek, you should come to that. I think the guys, would, the guys and the wives would love to see you. And so Derek and Donna came, and I had prepared to lead that meeting, and I think it was Brian Trask had this sheepish, sheepish look on his face because he was about to take over the meeting, and it's always a little bit like, okay, he's the leader, but I'm not asking permission. I'm just going to take over this meeting. So Brian hijacked the meeting. The rest, I think, uh, followed. And they took, I forget, 20, 30 minutes, and they just shared evidences of grace that they had experienced from me that summer. I was aghast. I had been living probably condemnation, lacking expertise, just barely making it. And here, imperceptible to me, one by one, people are saying, you remember that meeting, Tim? That was so encouraging to me. Remember when we did that? I had preached and taught and been aware of that. And then I started to live very imperceptible to what God was doing that summer. It was a powerful moment that had an effect, was upbuilding, brought grace into my life, not in a way that built Tim up, in a way that glorified God, because I was imperceptible to the Philippians 2.13 work that he was doing that summer. Most believers in the church live much more aware of their failures than God's work in their life. And then a church that grows in this shaping virtue of encouragement comes parachuting in and says, no, let me show you what I'm seeing, brother. Let me show you what I'm seeing, sister. And encouragement comes and grace is affected in a person's life. Here's probably the easiest way 
to be intentional in our application of this shaping virtue? Simple question. When you're preparing to meet with someone, you're preparing that text message, you're preparing to go to someone's house for hospitality, you're coming to a community, whatever the context, simple question. How do I want to leave this person after we talk? By the grace of God, will this person be edified when we're done today at lunch, when we're done talking on the phone? Can we be intentional and grow by understanding this is just us wanting to be Christ-like, but with intentionality, every person we interact with, we train ourselves, we grow, we're shaped by God's character so that I wanna steward this conversation. And when it's done, did grace flow to that individual? Are they encouraged, built up? Is the group experiencing some common good from my words? I think that's how we can grow in being encouragers. We can be shaped by God's character, the power of the gospel, putting to death pride and laziness. And I'm gonna close with this picture. I don't know if you know this, but there's a new, I don't know if it's a pandemic or epidemic, how do you say that? Epidemic, pandemic, what's the other one? Because it's an E, Rick would know. Endemic, yeah. So the Surgeon General published some 79-page report this week and announced there's a new whatever ick. (laughs) And guess what it is? Now, this is the Surgeon General coming from a medical frame of mind. There's a pandemic of loneliness. I didn't read it. I just heard about it. I can imagine he's trying to create a medical way to fix it. Church, we have the solution. In an ever-increasing, divisive, hostile world out there, I mean, you get criticized because you liked a tweet on Twitter, that's the world we live in. And in that world, God shapes a, a, a church, a church community, this one and many others, to be a place where encouragement flows and grace is experienced to the, play, to the point that this place becomes something that outsiders say, I can't explain that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ transform. I know those people. I know Tim and Derek and Tom. I know those guys. I play golf with them. An encouraging community beyond a person or two is unexplainable apart from the gospel of God working in their lives. That's the vision, I think, of a shaping virtue working in our church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us here uninformed. Lord, even down to the words of our mouth, the motives of our hearts, captured by a vision of Christ-likeness mediated by the power of the Holy Spirit put into our hearts. Lord, would you take this encouraging church and grow us even more? 
Lord, let outsiders experience the kind of encouragement we enjoy in this church. Grow it even more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.